All right, we got a fun and excellent interview for you guys today. Uh, it's Congressman Beto O'Rourke. He's from Texas, but he's come here to LA. Uh, and um, he's an interesting cat, as you're about to find, not a normal congressman. He doesn't take any PAC money. He's running against Ted Cruz and proudly progressive. Is that gonna work? Let's find out. All right, Congressman O'Rourke, thanks for joining us on the Young Turks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. So, very interesting career. You're for marijuana legalization. You're from Texas. I hear that's not supposed to fly over there. You're for comprehensive immigration reform, and I can keep on going, but I'll stop there. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's funny on on so many of these issues, people everywhere, and certainly in Texas, are so far ahead of the politicians and the office holders. And I would argue even the polls and the consultants and the focus groups. Um, when I first ran for Congress in 2012 against a 16-year incumbent, um, I was running proudly on um, reproductive rights and ending the drug war and ending the prohibition on marijuana and making sure that we are fulfilling our commitment to our service members and celebrating our connection with Mexico. El Paso is connected with Ciudad Juarez. It forms the largest binational community in this hemisphere, and it's part of the reason that we are such a safe city today. On, on any of those issues, which could be controversial or contentious or maybe you know the pollsters would tell us not to talk about. Um, the people in El Paso were glad that someone was finally championing the things that they were thinking about. Or even if they disagreed with me, they loved the fact that I had formed an opinion, come to a conclusion, had thought it through, and had the courage of my convictions and was willing to talk about it out on the campaign trail. And I think the same holds true for Texas. You know, we talk about universal health care. Perhaps not the thing you're supposed to talk about running statewide in Texas. Or that Medicare for all is the best articulation of how you get there right now. Um, but you know, it's not just in Houston and Austin and Dallas and San Antonio, the Rio Grande Valley and El Paso, the conventionally blue communities. It is in the rural parts of the state, in Sherman, Texas, and Wichita Falls, and Canyon, and Booker, in Pecos. Folks want to be able to see a doctor and make sure that their kids are okay, to take care of their families, to be healthy enough to go to work, um, to, to finish their education, to pursue their potential and their purpose. And they know that having healthcare is fundamental to that. So, so they are there. Uh, and now maybe what we call it is important. Maybe who's talking about it is critical. Maybe the way in which we listen and share what we've heard from these different communities is, is part of it. But I'm convinced that Texas is already there. Uh, and so we're talking about the things that are important to Texans. Okay, so that is why your race is so interesting because you're doing things differently. Uh, and it is gonna be really uh, fascinating to find out if it works. So for, for you guys at home, if you don't know, uh, Texas has not elected a Democrat to statewide office in 23 years and hasn't had a Democratic Senator in 30 years. So you're fighting an uphill battle, it seems, but the demographics of Texas are changing. And one of the things, but the, but the more interesting part is that you're gambling on the on the differing dynamic that's at, at play here, which is that that the consultants are wrong now. And your your stance on consultants and pollsters is also fascinating. And maybe even the most interesting out of all the things that you're doing. That that if you play standard politics, that it's not the right answer. That that in fact that the the voters um you know that the politicians are trying to appeal to the donors and they've lost track of what the voters actually want. So, and you're not taking the PAC money. So, 
Is any of that going to work? I'm fascinated by it. I think it will. I'm a huge believer in in those concepts, right? We, of course, I'm sure we're two different human beings. We probably disagree on a number of things, but those concepts are fascinating. So, having said all that, let me tell you one at a time. So we'll come back to the issues in a second. But I read not only are you not taking PAC money, which I would definitely want to come back to too, but that you're have have decided that you're not going to use consultants and pollsters. What does that mean? Talk to me about that. I don't know what a, a pollster or a consultant could tell me that I can't learn from listening to people that I want to represent and serve as we travel the state of Texas. Being in Henrietta, Texas and listening to a family who, though they're Republican, deeply care about access to health care. Say that but for the Affordable Care Act, they wouldn't be able to see a doctor. And before I can tell them that I agree with them and that we're on the same page, somebody else at the table says, I'm a public school teacher. And if you let Betsy DeVos take my hard earned tax dollars and send them to a private school, take them out of my classroom, away from the kids that I care about, then I'm gonna be really angry. And so Beto, you better fight for us. I don't want a pollster to tell me the issues that poll well or that test for a Democrat in the state of Texas. Obviously, the pollsters have been wrong for 30 years, at least when it comes to Senate races in Texas. and. Not only do I think it is the right thing to do to be everywhere and to listen to those that I want to represent and serve, I think it's the only way to win. When we showed up in LaGrange, Texas, which you may know from the ZZ Top song, we are in front of a group of 250 people who've come from all over Fayette County and from the counties around LaGrange. And the guy who introduces me says, Beto O'Rourke is the first Senate candidate to appear in LaGrange in 40 years. Um, folks want to be heard and represented and fought for and listened to. And that is fundamental, not just to winning, but for me to understand what's important in LaGrange or what's important in Lufkin or Nacogdoches or Pearland or any part of the state that I want to represent. So um, I, I don't know, it's, it's not just a, a matter of principle. I just don't know what a pollster or a consultant would add. To, to what we're doing, what I'm already learning on the campaign trail, which has been so, so powerful for us. I'm now convinced that by the end of the interview, Congressman O'Rourke is going to name every city in Texas. <laughs> okay, so I am opposed to them in principle, so maybe that's what yeah. we do for a little bit. I think that Democratic consultants are poison, they teach you how to be fake. And voters don't like fake, they like authentic. Right. So, so I don't know if you're doing it on purpose or not. But I totally agree and wish you the best of luck with it. Pollsters I might have a different opinion on. If they tell me what to think, then I have no interest in them. If they tell me the state of the race, well, I kinda wanna know if I'm winning or losing. Right. So do you know what the state of your race is right now? The, the only poll I've seen was one that was conducted by the Texas Lyceum in April. And it was a couple of weeks after we'd entered the race. And they polled registered voters in Texas. And Ted Cruz was at 30%, I was at 30% and 40% of Texas was undecided at that point. That was almost six months ago. And in that time, without naming all the cities and counties of Texas, <laughs> we have just gotten after it and, and really tried to be everywhere. In, in many places, coming back a second or a third time. Amarillo, Texas, for example, deep red country in the panhandle of Texas, 500 people come out to Austin Middle School on a Tuesday night for a town hall that we host. And we're talking about everything under the sun and listening to Republicans and independents and Democrats like people who have not been heard, 
whose opinion has not been asked, a place where Ted Cruz is not held to town hall mm-hmm. uh, ever. Um, and so, so I think that that is fundamental to the momentum that we're seeing and the, the kind of support that we've enjoyed so far six and a half months in with 13 to go. All right, so let me divert from the norm with my plan here to ask you about strategy in defeating Ted Cruz in this 2018 race. Um, I would humiliate him uh, and I'm wondering how you feel about that. So that uh, I wouldn't even use your face for your campaign slogan. I would use the picture of Ted Cruz on the phone, phone banging for Trump, where he looked miserable and defeated. And explain that that's the guy, he's not a strong guy, he's a weak guy and he'll do as he's told. And he's told by his donors normally and if Trump tells him after all the insults, he'll he'll go work for Trump. So uh, just curious, what do you think of that strategy? You know, I, I think what, what really resonates in Texas and, and, and the judgment the Texans have already formed is that upon being sworn in in 2013 to this incredibly high position of public trust, Ted Cruz left Texas. And he was in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada. And he wasn't in any of the places that I've mentioned that we've been mm-hmm. in Texas already during this campaign. And not only did he campaign for the presidency, but in pursuit of that office, he shut down the government of the United States. And we have to remember he did it for the reason that he believed that millions of Americans who now had the ability to see a doctor should be prevented from doing so, that we had to repeal Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. And that came at terrific cost to this country, to the people of Texas, to those that he was sworn to serve. And his inability to get past his career, his ideology, his partisanship means that he hasn't been able to deliver for the people of Texas. And they really care about that and they have taken note and it it affords us a, a big opening to talk about the way that we have served in the House, working on a bipartisan basis, having the courage of our convictions, never relenting from that, but being able to find some common ground to get some things done for the people that we care about. That's the contrast um, that we wanna share with the people of Texas. And again, I think for most of them, maybe reflected in that first poll in, in April, they've formed their opinion of him. They're interested in knowing what, what it is I care about, what I wanna do, uh, how working together we're gonna make life better for Texans and for this country. You're a better man than I am. I like the, you, you, I, I don't know that I like it that you're keeping it on the high road. I'd go with uh, sad Ted Cruz, uh, sad Ted. Uh, just that picture of him, will you vote for Trump? Anyway, I think it goes to his character, I really do. That uh, he's not trying to look out for the voters. He's just constantly worried about his career, which is the same thing you're saying, but in nicer terms. Um, okay, so let's talk about issues. Um, Texas considered deeply red, what issues are you gonna run on? The, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the ability to, to see a doctor, mm-hmm. um, the, the ability to fulfill, to, to fill a prescription, um, to, to get healthy, to stay healthy, um, to be able to take care of your family, that's fundamental uh, to um, the success every Texan either has or wants to have going forward. Um, it's connected to being able to go to school or to having a job uh, or to being able to contribute to the success of your community or your state. Um, so ensuring that healthcare is not a function of luck. And it really is, if you have healthcare in Texas today, it's, it's really uh, about who you're lucky enough to work for, how much you're lucky enough to have in your bank account, uh, whether you are fortunate enough to qualify to be able to enroll in Medicaid or Medicare. 
it, it has to become something that you as a human right can depend on in, in the state of Texas. Flowing from that, the ability to work, to find a job that has purpose and function, that pays above a living wage, to have the, the training or education or certification or apprenticeship that allows you to be able to work in that field to achieve your potential. Um, the, the very dignity of civic participation, so citizenship for those who've labored in the toughest, crappiest, hardest jobs in Texas, in some cases for decades, uh, without having the ability to participate fully in the life of their communities or their democracy. Um, the fact that Texas is the most gerrymandered state in the union. And four times this year, the courts have found that there's a racial or ethnic basis for drawing people out of their congressional districts and therefore their democracy. Um, people care about that and it comes back to an issue I know you care about, which is they know that the system is rigged to use a favorite word from the 2016 elections. They know that access is purchased, that outcomes are paid for, and that the average person does not have a fighting chance to determine the policy that will affect their lives and their state and the future for their kids. And so not taking PAC money, showing up to these communities without consultants, running an honest, transparent campaign that is based on representing people instead of corporations. All that is part of what we're, we're running on, what people are responding to, and what I'm lucky enough to, to be a part of. Because that, that spirit is already there in Texas. It explains the numbers of people coming out to our rallies. They're not coming to see me. Um, they're coming out because they are so excited at this unique singular opportunity to get this country back on the right track and to do it in the right way. All right, well, so. The, the getting money out of politics and, and not using PACs, I wanna see if you, you know, wanna talk about whether you can raise enough money and, and, to, and I'll get to that in a second. But I, that's, again, if you're, since you're detached from the, the donors and the PACs, it's easier for you to do something that's incredibly popular. I'm positive that in Texas, along with every other state, uh, that yeah, they like if you're uncorrupted. They like if you don't take big money, to, uh, interest money, private financing, etc. Etc. Right, uh, that pulls at over ninety percent. Just the only reason the Ted Cruz of the world don't do it is because they are corrupt and they want that money, and that's that's how they run their elections. But Medicare for all in Texas. Now I agree with you, but I think some people in El Paso might say you have cojones, okay, to run. And that was the number one issue you mentioned when I asked, right? right in this answer, so. You're sure that's gonna work in Texas? I mean, because I hear from the National Democrats, "Oh my God, don't do Medicare for all, that's just right. fight Trump and resist, but don't go right. forward. And especially in Texas, they say, no, 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 just do Republican light. Why, why Medicare for all? Why do you think that's gonna win? Yeah, so I, I feel like I owe those whom I want to represent uh, my honesty and, and they need to know uh, our vision for getting to what so many of them have described as the goal, which is that everyone should be able to see a doctor when they need to, should be able to be healthy, should be able to get healthy. And the only way, and I'm not a you know expert on this by any means, but the only way that I understand that you can get there is to have some kind of a single payer model. And the best one going right now in the United States of America is Medicare. It's got a 2% overhead administrative cost. It has 
excellent customer satisfaction. It can always be improved and I'm sure there's a way that we can do that. And I think by extending the universe of people who can enroll in Medicare, maybe initially having it as a public option on the exchanges, allow Medicare to compete with private insurers, drive down cost for all concerned, improve outcomes and quality of care. And then maybe ultimately through stages get to universal and a single payer system. That's the only way I know how how to get there. So it's one thing, you know. Sometimes Democrats or maybe Republicans as well will say, "Well, we just need to find a way to work together, listen to the stakeholders and the policy experts, and drive down the cost of of healthcare and improve access and affordability." That's great. How are you going to do it? And and there are some very specific proposals on the table today, and I think they they warrant a discussion and a debate. And I know through that process they will be perfected. And certainly we should listen to Republicans and independents and those experts who can help us to make those better proposals. But every single wealthy democracy in the world today, and many of the poor ones, have some form of universal health care, and their total cost. Um, their outcomes, uh, the health of their citizens far exceed what we're seeing here in the United States. Uh, and I think there's something to be learned from that. There's something very uniquely American that we can bring to that uh, and, and deliver something far better for our constituents. And so, um, and, and, and it's connected to every other thing that we care about, to education, to work, to our quality of life. So I know you don't use pollsters, but Medicare tests at 77% in the country and Medicare for all polls at 60%. So once you get rid of the drug companies donating to your campaigns, right. it might actually, you know, running to appeal to the voters might actually work. You're for criminal justice reform, that polls at over 50%. Immigration reform polls at over 90%. Right. Drug legalization, marijuana legalization polls at over 60%. Right. So it's amazing what you could do if you're freed from the donors. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So what does it mean to not take PAC money? Like, so for people at home, they might hear about PACs, but right. but not quite understand what that means. What are you allowed to take? What do you not take? Yeah. So a political action committee essentially allows corporations or organizations to bundle contributions from their members and channel them to members of Congress and can cut checks for $10,000 a pop. And for members of Congress who care about the reelection, and that is just about every single one of them, this is the, the surest, fastest way to raise the money that you need to be able to serve your constituents. And getting to know most of these fellow members of Congress, they're there for the right reasons. They, they ran to serve their constituents, they care deeply about the, the issues that move them to public service in the first place. But they make this deal that I'll give a little bit in terms of you know access, uh, and maybe outcome, uh, you know, no skin off my back to vote for something that doesn't really concern my con- constituents. That's only going to affect the national treasury by a couple million dollars here or there, if it means that I can get reelected to do that important work that I need. But it is death by a thousand cuts to our democracy, and it explains the horrific dysfunction, the inability to fund our government beyond December of this year to move forward on immigration reform to address any of the fundamental challenges that our country should be up for doing, but has been incapable of because the system is so corrupted and corroded by all the money that has poured in over all the years. And so. 
for the last few years, I haven't taken any PAC money at all because I don't want my constituents to wonder on the Armed Services Committee, am I doing the bidding of the people of Texas or the Boeing Corporation or Northrop Grumman or Lockheed Martin or any of those others who pay to ensure that their voice, their perspective is heard in these issues. The only voice or perspective that really should matter are those of human beings, the people that we represent, constituents, Americans, Texans. And so by not taking PAC money, that, as you say, frees me, one, from the perception, and two, from ever having that thought running through my head. You know, Do I really wanna piss these guys off? They've given me so much money, it's so critical to my ability to raise for reelection. Why not just cut them this one deal, vote this one way, support this one amendment so that I can keep that money coming through. That's the calculation that countless members of Congress have made. And here's the other side of it. In the first quarter of this Senate campaign, we raised $2.1 million. Average contribution was $44, zero of it came from PACs. And we outraised the sitting senator who is the poster child for PAC money, who has a national fundraising base by half a million dollars. So our faith in people was rewarded by people. And 81% of that came from the state of Texas. That was Texans believing in something better for Texas. And so the number of people who are coming in to this campaign, their belief in this, especially the young people who will come up to me at a town hall or a rally and they'll say, the only reason I'm here is because you don't take PAC money. Their BS detector is as sharp and exquisite as any on the face of the planet. They know when when this deal's rigged and they know that we're running this in a way to unrig the system. Ro Khanna, Congressman from California, approached me on the floor of the house and he said, hey Beto, you don't take PAC money, I don't take PAC money. Let's introduce a bill that would prevent members of Congress from taking PAC money. And I said, that's great, but I'm sure somebody's already doing this row. I mean, this, is, this idea is as old <laughs> as, as PACs. wonderfully naive of you. Okay. So I go back to my office and I say, hey, find out who's introduced the, the no PAC bill and let's get on it and make sure that Roe's office knows about it as well. My team comes back, no, no one's introduced at this Congress. We'll find out who's introduced at last Congress or some Congress before, ask their permission if we can introduce at this one. No one's ever written the No PAC Act in Congress. It was Ro Khanna and, and myself doing it and it won't pass. Uh, this this session, if we're honest with ourselves. But what will happen is if a Democrat wins in Texas for the first time in 30 years and does so by running on the issues that he cares about, having the courage of his convictions and not taking corporate cash, then that will be at least in part the model that other people run on going forward. That's the way uh, that we get PACs out of campaigns is by winning a race without PAC help. And that's the way that we help to get our democracy back. So um, I think there's a, a lot riding on, on this race and on the way that we do it. But I also think there's a lot to encourage us by the success that we've had so far. Yeah, look, we do perspective here. I, I, I never hide my perspective. I, I loathe Ted Cruz. Uh, and I think he's what's wrong with American politics. Uh, to, to, to give you the juxtaposition, guys. Um, you might wonder, hey, why did Ted Cruz wind up endorsing Trump after all the terrible things that Trump said about him, his wife, his father? And he'd done the kind of courageous, somewhat positioning move at the convention Cruz had of not endorsing Trump, but he eventually did, and he did the sad Ted phone banking. It's because his top donor in the primaries was the Mercer Group. And so Rebecca and Robert Mercer gave $13 million to Ted Cruz. And when he did not endorse Trump during the convention, they slammed the door in his face when he went to go see them in his suite because he ran home to his daddy, his donors. And so he's like, Robert, Robert, how did I do it? And he got the door slammed in his face. And like a good servant, turned around and endorsed Trump. 
That's who Ted Cruz is. So if you wind up beating Cruz, it's not just that a progressive, it's not just that a Democrat won in Texas, a progressive who ran on Medicare for all won in Texas. But not only that, you prove that you could win uncorrupted. That would be gigantic. It would make all the difference. So let me ask you, you guys did the No PAC Act. I'm afraid to ask. I don't know the number. How many people have signed on? I, I don't. I don't know the, the total. We've got some some prominent fellow Democrats, Tulsi Gabbard, who recently mm-hmm. announced that she's no longer um, taking PAC money, uh, has has signed on, and and there's probably a, a handful of of really good uh, members who who made this decision. We've approached some Republicans. There was a Republican who won last cycle without taking a, a dime of of PAC money. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he ended up joining uh, the bill. But again, I think the only way to really change this and and to to drive the conversation in the right direction is to start winning elections. Because, you know, I think Democrats sometimes are caught in, in this strange position where they decry corporate influence in politics and PAC contributions, and yet take that PAC money. And say, you know, we, we have to take it because we can't unilaterally disarm. And once we get into power, uh, we'll make sure that, that we outlaw this. And I don't know that that is ever going to happen. I, I've made the case that, that Republicans are at least a little bit more intellectually honest. And they yes. say, you know, uh, corporations are people, money is speech, and therefore corporations should be allowed to spend unlimited amounts of money influencing elections. So we're cool taking PAC money, no problem. I think Democrats to get right on this really have to stop taking PAC money. I know that's a huge ask of my colleagues who are in very tough reelection fights that have to raise millions of dollars every two years. And I don't judge them if they choose not to do it. I just think that it's a winner. I think people want to see that. I think it blows through the cynicism and frustration that people have about politicians when they see us having faith in people and and foregoing the the corporation. So um, I think it's a winner. Again, that's where we're a little different. I do judge them. Uh, I think it's a <laughs> terrible idea. Uh, it's it's uh, the Barney Frank rule. He told one of our reporters, "What do you want? Uh, the Republicans get a hundred percent of the banker money instead of eighty percent." My answer is yes. Yeah. Then at least they'll obviously be on the side of the bankers. That's right. And you'll be on the side of the voters. Taking twenty percent of the banker money makes you the permanent loser party, which unfortunately is is the current state of affairs in the House, the Senate, and the White House. So just to, but clarification, because I'm really curious about it. So no corporate PAC money, also no interest groups, even if they're good interest groups, no unions, no PAC money at all. No no PAC money at all, and, and there are certainly organizations that have PACs with whom I'm in agreement with their policy goals, but um, you know, I think the rule applies to everyone. You, as my potential constituent in Texas, never want to wonder whether Beto's voting a certain way because he got a lot of money from a certain organization. Um, you want him uh, listening to you at town hall meetings, being accountable to those he represents, being responsive to people, not special interests, not corporations, um, not PACs, no matter who they are. I think it's so much cleaner, so much easier. And every cycle of fundraising where we report to the public where we raised our money from, we get to put a big fat zero next to political action committees. And I want it to be that way. I want it to be that clear and that easy and that simple. Okay, that's great. But so you can take $2,700 for the primaries and $2,700 for the general election. That's the limit from individuals. From individuals, right. And that's it? 
That's it. Yeah. And that's how you raised $2.1 million? When, yes, that first quarter we raised $2.1 million from, uh, I think it was 61,000 individual uh, contributions. It may, it may be actually significantly higher than that. I don't know the, the total count. And the average contribution was uh, $44. This last cycle, uh, Ted Cruz outraised us by a little bit. We raised $1.7 million. He raised $2 million. But I think we had 7,000 more unique contributions than he did. So, um, and again, most of that from Texas. Um, it's just incredibly encouraging that if you net out the last six months, we've raised $200,000 more than Ted Cruz and did it solely through people. But um, how do you get the word out? Because I get how Bernie Sanders got the word out because uh, he was on a national stage, he was running for president. Um, it's tougher to do it at the local level. So how are you getting the word out effectively enough to be able to raise that money? Yeah, I mean, traveling the state tirelessly, inviting people to join our campaign at those public meetings where we're there in person, having a terrific website that people can go to, BetoForTexas.com, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, in every possible medium, we are there and not just broadcasting. The great thing about Facebook Live is that we're also taking questions and listening to what's on people's minds and it's engaging them in the conversation. So. Can I just, sorry, yeah, I, I get ahead. that. So can I just ask real quick, are you planning to, and I don't know that you know this answer yet, but spend more on TV or more on digital? It, it would be far more on digital uh, than, it, than it would be on, on TV. Um, I, I love the idea and the fact that, that we are directly connecting with the people that we wanna represent. Um, that we'll, we'll show up, we, we just went to TCU recently in Fort Worth, Tarrant County. And as we were driving up, we did a Facebook live stream in the 15 minutes that we're pulling up. And I can't tell you how many people at that meeting at TCU said, the only way I found out about this was you're on Facebook Live. And I wanted to come and check out who you are and what you had to say and ask you a question and see what you answered. Um, it, it is just so immediate and so direct. Um, and, uh, and, and TV is important as well, certainly. Um, but but I, I think that, that we're finding um, such an effective way to connect with people directly in their homes all over the state through through digital and social. So didn't we'll Paul Ryan ban you from streaming on the floor of the house? He did. Uh, there, there was a new rule this this um, this Congress uh, that banned live streaming from the floor of the house because we we live streamed uh, the John Lewis led sit in on the house floor trying to get some kind of movement or at least a debate or at a minimum a hearing on the crisis of gun violence in this country. And as you know, Paul Ryan shut down the lights, the C-SPAN cameras. And as long as there's something compelling happening on the floor of the house that the American people should know about, there should be some way to transmit that. So we just did it at the end of our cell phones through Facebook Live and through Periscope. Okay, and then he then said from then on, you're gonna get fined. Right, and I forget what the total fine is, but yeah, yeah, that's. Okay, that's, that's the response. Well, that, that's a very Republican response. If there's right. something we don't like, shut it down, don't let anybody see it. Right. Um, okay, now, uh, so you, I assume you guys are gonna have debates, you and Ted Cruz? I sure hope so, yeah. Because I'm, I'm gonna broadcast those debates. Right. I'm now fascinated by what's gonna happen in those debates. Yeah, no, I'm and looking forward to it. Yeah, and if he runs from you and he doesn't debate you, oh, that's even better. I'm sad Ted all over Texas. Um, <laughs> maybe he's sad that you're catching up to him. Anyway, uh, now we had such a fun time here. It's, uh, uh, but I'm, nonetheless, I'm gonna add on a, end on a, um, a note where we disagree, okay? So uh, 
you endorsed Hillary Clinton for in 2016. Uh, what was your thinking there? Do you regret that at all? Um, since Bernie raised money in the way that you did, right? right. Yeah. And and you're actually using uh, revolution messaging, which Bernie used, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So I'm curious, why'd you do that, and what's your thought about it in hindsight? Yeah. You know, I I was probably the last, if one of the last, if not the last. Texas office holders to, to make an endorsement. Uh, one, because I wanted to make sure all the states uh, had gone through their primary voting process. Two, uh, I'm a superdelegate and, and I hate that we have superdelegates. I don't think I should have more of an influence on the outcome than you know, any other uh, American. Um, so, so I waited until the, the primaries were over to, to make that endorsement. You know, I thought Hillary Clinton uh, brought um, a tremendous amount of experience. Um, to the office, uh, there are some issues on which I disagree with her, uh, but you know, uh, I just I felt like she would be uh, a good president and uh, our our best nominee. Um, I say that in 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 hopes of not in any way diminishing uh, what Bernie Sanders brought to it. I mean, the the issues that he brought to this campaign uh, when it comes to healthcare or education or work or our um, military involvement around the world, uh, we're all incredibly compelling and inspiring obviously to millions uh, of Americans. The way in which he ran his campaign, you know, outside of, of PACs and special interests uh, obviously resonates with me and resonates with those who are part of our, our campaign today. So, um, you know, um, both, uh, you know, uh, strong candidates. Uh, Hillary was the one that I uh, ended up voting for in, in the primary. All right, so I see there's one left. I mean, you freed yourself from the PACs and you freed yourself from the Democratic consultants. Those are right. the two most lethal poisons. Democratic leadership, it's a little harder. You gotta work with them, I, I understand that. But that's the last step because the Hillary's of the world have not led to victories. Right. So right. that's my take on it. Uh, and, and we'll see how things develop, obviously, and 2020 is a long time away. And hopefully at that point, you're a powerful senator from Texas. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we're working on goes. it, we're yeah. working on it. All right, Beto O'Rourke running against Sad Ted, can't wait, can't wait. All right, thank you for joining Thank us. you, Jane, for having me on, All right. appreciate it.